0: G'day, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to look with you at the book of Micah uh, for the next four Sundays. Micah chapter 1 to 2 today. Can I encourage you to have your Bible open at Micah chapter 1? We're going to read chapters 1 and 2, think about what they mean and how they apply to us as Christians. We'll help you to have the outline. Uh, quite important to have the outline. It's got some New Testament verses we'll need. And uh, let's pray and we'll ask God to give us his help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, do please help us now to... Uh, understand micah chapter one to two and please help us not just to um, read and and listen but to and not just to understand but to put into practice what we learn today that we may be pleasing to you and we pray it in jesus name amen we had an interesting conversation at church a few months ago. A man came and visited our church. Um, I, I don't really know the man. I just met him the one time. But he's an older Chinese man, around about my father's age, I reckon, sort of around about 80. He's now retired. But uh, he is, he's had a very successful career. He's very wealthy, very re- well respected in his community. I, I don't think he's a Christian, but someone invited him to come to our church. The day that he attended, it was the day that uh, I was preaching from uh, James chapter 5 verses 1 to 6. Now, I doubt anyone remembers the talk, but I asked the question, what will your wealth say about you on judgment day? I I, I challenged the congregation um, about being comfortable with their wealth I challenged the congregation to seriously question their whole attitude to, 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 to wealth and to being wealthy. I said we need to get way more serious about being generous. I said we need to invest in gospel ministry. We need to make sure we don't exploit other people. And we need to help the poor, especially our poor Christian brothers and sisters. After the talk, uh, the man who was visiting approached me at uh, at morning tea. And he said to me, he said, can I give you some advice? I said, sure. And he said this. He said, you run a church in Chatswood and you've just rebuilt all your buildings. He said, you need people to be rich. If you tell them not to be rich, like you did today, if you speak against being wealthy, They won't be able to afford to live in Chatswood. They won't come to your church. They won't have money to to pay for your new buildings. And they won't be able to pay you. He said this. he He said, you're biting the hand that feeds you. You need to go easy on people. that 's sensible advice isn 't it we 're about to set our budget for next year we 're going to be asking you to give something like a million dollars plus mission Month plus Presaid aid at Easter and uh, compassion at Christmas um, plus there's our uh, plus there 's our two million dollar building loan, plus no doubt you have um, Large debts and mortgages, in order to be able to live in million-dollar, multi-million-dollar houses here in Chatswood. If I keep on rabbiting about the dangers of wealth, I could talk myself right out of a job. I could talk our church right into bankruptcy. Uh, if uh, if you take seriously what I'm saying, you might uh, you might all you might you might you might all give your money to the poor and uh, and sell your houses and move out to Blacktown. So maybe instead, for the sake of my job and and the sake of our church here in Chatswood, maybe instead I should give you a more positive message, a message about how wealth is a blessing from God, a a sign of his blessing upon your righteous life. Um, Maybe I should give you a message about how God helps those who help themselves or about how, how God wants us to be wealthy does make much better economic sense, doesn't it? And, well, it does seem to work in plenty of churches around the world. What do you reckon? Are you sick of me hassling you about greed? Are you sick of me hassling you about materialism? Am I, are you sick of me hassling you to, to give your money to this and to that? Uh, am I biting the hand that feeds me? Should I, should I ease up on you? Well, today we start another new book of the Bible. It's another uh, of the minor prophets, another prophet from the Old Testament, this time the prophet Micah. Actually, for me, this is, uh, this is the last book of the Bible left for me to preach at Chatswood. We haven't gotten through every single psalm at Chatswood, but other than that, when we finish Micah, I'll have preached here at Chatswood in the last 23 years, I'll have preached every single book in the Bible. Anyway, anyway let's, uh, let's dive in and we'll have a look. The author... Uh, the author, he starts off by telling us that this is the word of God. This is God's word. It came through the prophet Micah. Uh, Micah is a bloke from, the t- from a town called Moresheth. And it's, uh, it, it came in around about the years 740 to 690 BC. 740 to 690 BC. BC that's during the reigns of Judean kings so he's speaking really to Judah Judean kings Jotham Ahaz and Hezekiah and he says it's about the cities of Samaria and Jerusalem Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel Jerusalem is the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah Micah chapter 1 and verse 1 have a look with me Micah chapter 1 and verse 1 the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth During the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Micah says, God is coming in judgment. He says, both of these capital cities, Samaria and Jerusalem, they are full of wickedness. Both are infecting their whole countries. And God is going to move heaven and earth to judge them. Verse 2. Hear you peoples, all of you. Listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression. Because of the sins of the people of Israel, what is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Micah starts off by talking about Samaria. He says, for her sins, Samaria will be destroyed. Verse 6. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images. Since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, as the wages of prostitutes, they will again be used. Samaria will be destroyed. But Micah says, Micah says, it's not going to just be Samaria. God's judgment will reach into Judah as well. He says it will reach all the way to the gates of Jerusalem. And the thought of this, it, it, it's so terrible, it makes him mourn and groan. Verse 8, because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. For Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. And what Micah then does, he takes us on, on, a, on a tour of towns through Judah, and with each one he uses he uses Hebrew word plays on the name of each town to to. to it's a kind of an ironic way of saying that they'll be conquered all of them will be conquered so for example beth ophrah in hebrew sounds a bit like house of dust dust town something like that he says they'll have to roll in the dust uh, zanan means something like the hebrew word for come out he says they're not going to be coming out because they're going to be destroyed there's this word play after word play in town after town after judah to show that uh, this conqueror of samaria will spread all through judah to the very gates of jerusalem verse 10. Tell it not in Gath. Weep not at all. In Beth-Ophrah, that's dust town, roll in the dust. Now pass by, naked and in shame, you live in Shafir. That's beauty town. Naked and ashamed for beauty town. Now those who live in Zanan, come out town, will not come out. Beth-Ezel, sounds like take away town, is in mourning. It no longer protects you because they've been taken away in exile. Uh, Those who live in Maroth, it's bitter town, they writhe in pain, waiting for relief. Literally waiting for sweetness, bitter town, waiting for sweetness. Because disaster has come from the Lord, even to the gate of Jerusalem. You who live in Lachish, Lachish was a, a, a chariot city built by Solomon. Harness fast horses, race horses to the chariot in other words it's racehorses to run away with the chariots rather than war horses to fight uh, you are where the sin of daughter zion began for the transgressions of israel were found in you therefore you uh, that is jerusalem will give parting gifts uh, as referring to a dowry the money that you give to your daughter when she goes away to be married um, you'll give a dowry to Morasheth gath which sounds like bride town you give it Jerusalem will give a, a dowry to bridetown town as she has to go away. The town of Akzeb sounds like deception town. They will prove deceptive to the kings of Israel. I will bring a conqueror against you who live in Marishah, which sounds like new owner town. They'll have a new owner. Uh, the nobles of Israel will flee to Adullam. Adullam is where the cave was that King David hid in, but it also sounds a bit like yoke town. So they'll flee... Um, to slavery, to hard labor. All of these towns, um, they're going to be conquered. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be sent into exile. And Micah says, it is time for them all to mourn their own demise. Verse 16, shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as the vulture, for they will go from you into exile. Now in chapter two, what Micah does, he speaks to the people who are in these towns of Judah, these towns of Judah that are gonna get destroyed all the way through to Jerusalem. And, and he talks about he talks about why God is going to judge them like this. He talks about what they've done wrong. He says, he says it's because of 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 their greed and their exploitation. Now, the people of Judah, they're the the, the wealthy, the powerful, they are tricking and robbing the poor in this greedy race to to get as much wealth and property as they can. And again, Micah uses this ironic play on words. He says, verse one, that uh, these people, these exploiters, they're, they're planning, they're making plans, they're planning how to satisfy their greed, planning how to increase their property portfolios and their wealth. And so verse three, Micah says, God is planning as well. He's planning how to destroy them Chapter two and verse one. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's lights, they carry it out because it is in their power to do so. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes and rob them of their inheritance. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly for it will be time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. Uh, Michael now talks about some prophets. And notice, notice what he calls them. He calls them their prophets. Who does the there refer to? Well, it refers to these rich exploiters, these people planning iniquity. These, these prophets, they're paid for. They're, they are employed by the rich exploiters. Now, employed notionally to, to tell them God's will, but in fact, employed to tell them what they want to hear. Now, these prophets, they are telling Micah to stop with his prophecies of doom to their masters. They say, destruction isn't coming. God isn't like that. God doesn't get angry. God doesn't get impatient, nor with his special people, Israel. The wealth of our owners, it's all the blessing of God in the promised land. God's not angry. Verse six. Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. You descendants of Jacob, should it be said, does the Lord become impatient? Does he do such things? Micah says the prophets have it wrong. The Jews might be God's covenant people, but with their injustice and exploitation and greed, they're acting like God's enemies and God is impatient. God's going to throw them out of the land. And again, Micah uses an ironic twist here. The exploiters have been saying to women and children, get out. They've been driving them out from their homes, from their inheritance That's verse 9, forcing them out of their houses. And so now, verse 10, God says to them, get out, get out of my land. Halfway through verse 7. Do not my words do good to the one whose ways are upright? Lately, my people have risen up against, lately my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. Get up, go away, for this is not your resting place because it is defiled, it is ruined beyond all remedy. Micah talks about these false prophets. He says they are entirely suited to a sinful people because they tell them exactly what they want to hear. Verse 11, if a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. Micah finishes the section with a brief message of hope. Uh, Samaria will be destroyed and Judah will be conquered all the way to Jerusalem. But but a small remnant will survive. They'll crowd into the city gates of Jerusalem and God will rescue them. The day will come when when they come back out of Jerusalem, led by their king, led by their God, rescued from this terrible conquest, this terrible oppression. Verse 12. I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I'll bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Okay. Okay, can you see what's here in Micah chapter 1 and 2? God is bringing his judgment onto Israel and Judah. Uh, The northern kingdom of Israel, its capital city of Samaria, will be completely destroyed. And the destruction will also work its way through Judah, all the way through to the capital city of Jerusalem. And why? Why will God judge like this? In particular, why will God judge Judah like this? because of their greed, because of the way the rich are exploiting the poor and vulnerable, because of the way they're throwing women and children out of their land, taking away their inheritance so that they can acquire more property and more wealth. The prophets who are employed by the rich, paid for by the rich, they say everything's fine. They say God doesn't get impatient, God doesn't get angry. Uh, They say that uh, these people can be as greedy as they like. But Micah knows the truth. God will judge these greedy people. And so he says, don't be fooled by the false prophets. Judgment is coming. Only Jerusalem will survive. Friends, friends the reason this prophecy is in the Bible is because it came exactly true. Uh, A a few years after Micah prophesied, the Assyrian Empire conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. They they, they conquered and destroyed Samaria, exactly as Micah said. And and all the people were taken into exile, never to return. And the Assyrian army, they also, they, they marched through Judah, conquering town after town after town, just like Micah said, until the only place left unconquered was Jerusalem itself. Jerusalem underwent a terrible siege until, um, miraculously, during the reign of Hezekiah, God rescued them. Micah's prophecy came true. This proved to be the, the true word of God. All right. Let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. Two things to say. Two things to say. First, first, God will judge greedy people. And second, don't be fooled by false prophets who tell you he won't. God will judge greedy people. And don't be fooled by false prophets who tell you he won't. Now, first point first. God will judge greedy people. what he did in Micah's day and it is still true today. It is still true today for Christians. Uh, Yes, God loves us. Yes, Jesus died and rose again for us. Yes, we are saved by God's grace alone because of Jesus. Of course, being poor can't save us. Um, Of course, we can't save ourselves by our generosity. Of course, we can't buy our way into heaven. And yes, there is nothing that can separate us from God's love in Jesus. But the fact remains, and it remains true for us as Christians, God will judge greedy people. Don't just take my word for it. Let me show it to you from the New Testament. On your outline there, let's, uh, let's start with Jesus himself. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth, moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve both God and money. Let's move on to the Apostle Paul from 1 Timothy chapter 6. On your outline again, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share in this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Or One more. Let's go back to James chapter 5. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you. Eat your flesh like fire. What will it testify? You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Friends, it's not ambiguous, is it? It's the consistent teaching of the New Testament as well as the Old. And, friends, it's a serious warning to people like you and me. If you are relying on your wealth, you're in trouble with God. If you're exploiting people in your pursuit of wealth you're in trouble if you are stingy and ungenerous in giving to the work of the gospel you're in trouble if you're stingy in giving to the needy you're in trouble now God says this is Colossians chapter 3 God says that greed is idolatry it's about putting money before him and he will not tolerate that He will not tolerate second place in your life. God hates idolatry. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. He doesn't say it's awkward. He doesn't say it's difficult. It's not possible. You need to choose one master only. Friends, greedy Christian is an oxymoron. Greed is a sin and we need To repent of it. Are you getting the picture? God will judge greedy people. Final point of application. Don't be fooled by false prophets who tell you that God won't judge greedy people. Such people exist. Turn on the TV and you'll find them. And, of course, they're popular because they tell people what they want to hear. But, friends, don't listen. Don't listen to them. Never get comfortable with your wealth and never listen to anyone who says you should. Never never trick yourself into believing the lie that God doesn't care how you earn your money or what you do with it. Never be content with your generosity. Never feel like you're being generous enough. Keep challenging yourself. Keep working harder, sacrificing more. Keep challenging yourself about how you earn your money and what you do with your money. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And God wants your heart. That man I talked about at the beginning. What he said, it makes good economic sense, but I shouldn't follow his advice, should I? I need to keep hassling you about the danger, the danger of greed, the danger of wealth, even if it means I am biting the hand that feeds me, even if it means you all move to Blackdown and I'm out of a job. I should say this. I feel very blessed to be part of this church. I believe that you, the vast majority of people in our church, I believe that you want to hear God's word faithfully taught, even when it hurts, even if it challenges you, even if it, uh, even if it criticizes you. Thank you. Thank you for your humility. But I do need to keep hassling you, so don't get comfortable, will you? And remember, we don't want to just listen to God's word here, and then forget about it. We've got to put this into practice. Put our money where our mouth is. We need to put this into practice, don't we? Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your generous mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we look forward, we look forward to a life that is truly life in the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, We help us, Heavenly Father, to take seriously the way that we live now and what we do about money and wealth. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be people of integrity. Help us to be people of generosity. Help us to be people who love you, who choose you as our master. Father, we will need your help to do this, so please strengthen us by your Spirit to put you first and live for you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.